everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Heartland Franchise Guy, your insider's guide to all things franchising in the local area. I'm Blake Martin, small business franchise owner and your Heartland Franchise Guy. This is the place for information, advocacy, resources, and education about the local franchising field and for entrepreneurs looking to learn more about the franchising industry. So we're back for part two of our conversation with Greg Cutchell of Cutchell Management Company. Back into our conversations and our stories of his story to success over all these years. Thanks for joining us again. So spinning off on that on that last piece there, talking about you know the, the people that you surround yourself with, you, you've still got dozens of locations, right? Yeah, I operate, uh, let's see, I'm an owner in 54 locations and have controlling interest of 34 locations. So what kind of infrastructure and what kind of people infrastructure does it take to support that and, and run all of those effectively within your organization, within cultural management? Well, you know, a lot of things can be outsourced, and, and I do recommend that for some people. I've always been kind of a little bit of a control freak. So I do all our own, we do all our own accounting in the office. So I've got um, a director of marketing, a business manager, a CFO, um, two uh, senior accountants, uh, two support people, and a human resource director. So in my office that are there pretty much regular every day, a couple of the accounting people were letting office outside now. Uh, they'll come in once a week, um, but, but it's worked. It's worked well. And then on the operations level, um, you know, I've probably got, I've got four guys on the domino side that are above store level that are overseeing uh, right. markets. Um, I sold controlling interest of Sonic. Um, we still own 34%. Um, and then my Sonic partner's been great, by the way. He was an awesome uh, find. We helped him finance it. He'd been at Sonic for 25 years and proved, great track record and you know sometimes it's more about what they know than how much money they have you have a lot of faith in people don't you yeah you got to if you want to grow you know and that's what i want i didn't i never wanted to run one restaurant 60 hours a week by myself and the only way you get out of that is you you start um giving up a little control and and make people let people make some mistakes you know Mm -hmm. let them stub their toe that's how they learn and that's that enables me to grow um so on, um, let's see, so that, that's about half my restaurants, um, Domino's, where I've got three or four area managers, uh, president, I, I, uh, director of operations, and then two or three area managers. And then the other half of my company is what I call my full service, um, our fast casual division. So it's everything except for fast food. So it's, you know, Lettuce Express, Paradise Bakery, Jams, Salty Senorita, Kasai is an Asian steakhouse we got involved in in Phoenix a few years ago. Um, so I have a, a COO that oversees all of those concepts, and then right. under him, he's got two or three uh, area guys. So gotcha. Yeah, it works out pretty good. Got a good hierarchy set up. Yeah, for sure. So not everybody's going to get into that. I'll call it rarefied air of ownership of the number of brands and the number of businesses that you have in particular the mix of the franchises versus independently owned. But for those folks that are, that are looking to get into multi-unit ownership or they've just started into it, any nuggets of advice that you'd suggest to those folks? You know, 
it, it's, I don't want to even say it's changed because it's always been my philosophy, but it's even more so important now that uh, if they want to grow, when you say multi-unit, you're not saying multi-concept, you're saying, look, we're going to buy this brand and we're going to we want to develop it. It's uh, as tight as the labor market is. Um, that will be key to your growth. Now, you, not, you need to go in and run that first store yourself, and you need to know it inside and out. I don't care if it's in the restaurant business or a different franchise. You need to know it inside and out. But at some point, I always suggest you bring in some kind of a partner, whether they buy in out of profits or they have some money they can throw at it. Or um, to me, that for your number two guy, you know, and, um, you know, see how he does. Now, if he can develop a team, you know, without giving up ownership, great. Um, but I think that's something you have to look hard at. You know, it also depends on the complexity of the franchise. Uh-huh. You know, there's some that maybe, gosh, you don't need um, 10 locations. Maybe it's just a, a, a business that just grows, you know, like our friend that has um, the Red Box. Is that what it's sure. called? yeah. I think there's another name. Red Box Plus. Red Box Plus. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. I was intrigued by that. I actually yeah. looked at that for a while and I'm, I'm trying to help him with some stuff right now. Um, you know, there it's not about, no, I guess it's a little bit about locations because he has territories and, mm-hmm. you know, he wants yeah. to pick up some. More, more about the containers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, he's in a tough niche market there that's very competitive, although his product's superior, you know, contractors and everybody's looking for the price. And uh, we're, we're kicking around some marketing ideas that he can say, yeah, we cost a little bit more, but we're worth it. Well, you want this parked in front of your house or you want this parked in front of your house? You know, yeah. his, his units are beautiful. Um, so I think that's important. You know, it, and it's, you really have to educate yourself and, and you need to get somebody like yourself um, to consult. I do a fair share of consulting, uh, Blake, but what I've learned is 80, 90% of them come to me when they're in trouble. You know, how do I yeah. fix this? You know, I go, well, your lease stinks. You know, how'd you get that? Why'd you agree to that lease? And, you know, um, I've been able to even negotiate some stuff out of franchise agreements, depending on how big a company they are. You know, the bigger they are, the less they'll negotiate. The smaller they are, they you know, they may. You know, I've always felt like for a startup franchise, which is probably what we do at Lettuce, is... Um, their royalty would be rolling based on their sales. So I don't want to okay. bury them with 5% right off the top if they can't afford it. You know, uh, I just know, you know, the average store does, will do this much. And when you're hitting that, you're going to pay 5%. But before then, it might be 2 3 4 You know, those are some things. The other thing that people find or maybe surprises people when it looks like I'm a, a, a franchise addict with all the different franchises I've owned I can tell you that a franchise addict, that's yeah, a new phrase. Well, you know, three or four, at least four of, of the brands that I've operated were acquired because I had a location that wasn't working and I either owned the property or I was stuck in a lease. So this goes back to, let's see, the first one I did would have been a burger star. I opened on 72nd Pacific. We would kill it line to the door from 11 to 2, 11.30 to 1.30, then nothing. You could shoot a cannon through the place. It wasn't open for breakfast. And it was a nice, nice in-cap, nice patio. 
And I go, you know, we're looking around the trade area. I go, wow, what a great spot for one of those brunch places, breakfast, lunch, right? So I first thing I do is I try and call these guys and say, hey, do you want this spot? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it'll be a little key money, you know, but I'll leave, you know. No, no, nobody's interested. Nobody's interested. I said, well, I'm going in the breakfast business. So I researched it for about two years, um, you know, Egg and I, Jimmy's Egg, whoever else was out there, mm-hmm. and really fell in love with First Watch and met these guys at a restaurant conference and uh, said, I got a spot. I want to I want to do a, st- a store and, and cut a deal. And... Um, converted that to first watch we, we actually lost money for 18 months is that right we had the restaurant review lady come out and she said we were a cut above uh you know village inn or something i mean which was not a good recommendation for from scratch kitchen chef driven menu mm. well people finally caught on and i mean First Watch, way before I was involved, was voted best breakfast in town in 15 cities across the country. So hmm. I knew our product was good. Um, now, unfortunately, my development agreement ran out because I signed to do four of them because because I wasn't going to open another one until, you know, this one started making money. Uh-huh. Well, about the second year, it just started kicking in and it just exploded. And now I've got five, lo- six locations, and it's my highest volume location. It's killing it. It's one of the top 10 in the country now. Wow. It just took a pace. while to people to get discover how good our food is, really, and how good our service is and how cool our spaces are. So then um, First Watch was on a big expansion mode, and they acquired Egg and I's. Well, there was a local franchisee for Egg and I that, that wasn't doing very well. And it took us two years. <laughs> we finally negotiated a deal to buy his egg and eyes. He wanted a 10 multiple of EBITDA. And I go, no, we're not doing that. And uh, finally came down to a reasonable price, and, and we cut a deal. And we converted all four of those to egg and eyes. So, or excuse me, first watch. So we went from one store to five within six months. And then we've opened a store out at Village Point West, I call it. It's on 180th and Dodge. Uh-huh. That's now our second highest volume location. And we are developing a first watch at Southport now. And we're in discussions with a Lincoln location as well. So that's been a great brand. It's also been a great brand from the aspect of hiring because we close at 2.30 every day. Uh-huh. So, you know, mom can go and work breakfast right. and brunch and lunch and get tips all the way through and be home in time for her kids to get home from school. So, yeah, I love that brand. Um, the other one, I, how I got into was uh, uh, Domino's. Um, I uh, had a, used to own half the Do- Sonics in town, and the parent company, corporate, owned the other half. And I never liked sharing a market because they, they didn't run the stores like we did as well as we did. They'd hire managers. We'd fire. Their stores were dirty. Their service was slow. They weren't putting drive-throughs on, which I was the, one of the first franchisees in the country to put a drive-through on a Sonic. They, Is that right? They said no. They fought me on it. They go, "That's not our style." I go, "Well, you haven't been in Nebraska yet. We need drive-throughs." And to this day, it's seventy percent of our business. We can have <laughs> you know thirty stalls out there, and they're starting to get used now. But um, so we knew when we acquired them, we were going to have to close two, and we acquired nine of them. But the price was right two that they never should open they were open too close to stores that i had already opened and uh we uh, were able to lease one spot 
sublease the other spot. And I, and I, and again, same thing. I call little Caesars. I call Jimmy John's. I call all my friends in the business. Hey, I got this great location at 71st and military and it's hurting my store on 90th. And you know, you interested No, no, we're too close or not. doesn't work for me. And Domino's had been chasing me for a while. And, uh, I was at, again, at a conference and heard their president speak. This was back in maybe 2008, 9, 10, when they changed the recipes and really did this right. turnaround. They went on TV and said, yeah, we hear you, America. Our product's not very good. And we're that gonna, was memorable, wasn't we're it? We're going to fix it. Yeah, that's why our slogan today is still, oh, yes, we did. Because <laughs> everybody <laughs> and, and, and I had the chance to get to know Patrick, the, the CEO at the time. And... Uh, he says, well, Greg, he says, the, we were in such a mess. He goes, I figured I had to do something, Barnum and Bailey. Yeah. And I figured, worst case scenario, it wasn't going to work. And my predecessor would have quite a mess to clean up. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, that's how I got into Domino's. And, again, I signed. I didn't sign any development agreement. I go, I'll do yeah. one. They had five stores in the market owned by four different people. And they were, you know, mom and pops and mm-hmm. really weren't looking at expanding and you know, um, so over the next 10 years, I acquired all those stores and opened another eight. And we've got, like, I don't know, 17 of them now. But again, I probably wouldn't be in Domino's if, if I didn't have that Sonic that I was pretty much stuck with. Right. Uh, same thing with Twin Peaks. Um, I was opening a Paradise Bakery in Florida, or excuse me, in Dallas. And the night before we opened, I always take my managers out to dinner. And they go, Greg, you care if we go to Twin Peaks and watch the games? And I go, yeah, I never heard of it. Let's go go there. And I walk in there, and I go, this is a famous Dave's on steroids, you know, with a bunch of TVs and pretty girls and cold beer. And I had made the mistake, uh, uh, two mistakes on famous Dave's. One, I found it and was working hard to cut a deal with them. Couldn't cut the deal I wanted. And Willie Thiessen is a very good friend of mine. We've been buddies Mm -hmm. for 30 years. And, you know, I was telling him what I'm doing. I go, I'm looking at this. I like this barbecue thing, man. These guys are doing $5 million a year in Lincoln and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and they wouldn't give me the whole market. And that frustrated me. So Willie called me one day. He says, you're going to do anything with Dave's? I go, you know, I don't think so. I just signed the Sonic deal. They won't give me the whole market. He goes, you care if I talk to him? I go, no. Should I go up? I'll introduce you to everybody up there. They, they all know me. I've been stalking them for two years. <laughs> And, uh, well, they loved getting Willie Thiessen. You know, that oh, was a sure. big feather in their hat. Yeah. And they, uh, Willie told them, look, I'll do Phoenix, I'll do Denver, but you got to give me all Omaha. I don't think he ever had any intention of doing Phoenix and Denver, but they said, okay. They just gave it to him. I'd been working two years on it, and, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I helped Willie get started. I, I, I recruited his management team. Uh, and his, his contractor, he did have a connection on. I, um, the location that he picked was the location the parent company was willing to give me um, just to do one. And uh, I did all his accounting for him um, and uh, uh, really helped him get established because he'd been out of the business for quite a while. And uh, first year, he does $5 million in sales and sends a million oh to gosh. the bottom line. At this time, I'd been on my own for 12 years and had maybe a dozen restaurants, and combined, they didn't do a million a year <laughs> in profit. And I go, oh, my God, hide the sharp objects. That's you know. the one you gave up. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and eventually Willie sold them to me. We were partners in the old market. I opened one in Wichita, and then eventually he started selling me his stores. And uh, um, 
I made the mistake after I acquired them from them. Omaha is really set for two or three locations. What I learned the hard way with barbecue is you don't have to make it convenient because people eat barbecue once every five weeks. They don't care if they have to drive five miles. But me, my, my, my mentality was saturate the market, you know, get all the good locations. So after I acquired them from Willie, you know, I opened, uh, I converted my Austin Steakhouse on 120th and L to a Dave's. And then I took the Chili's building on 132nd and Maple and made it a Dave's. Mm-hmm. Big mistake. 132nd and Maple hurt. 71st and Ames and 171st and Center because it was right between them. Oh. And then uh, uh, the old Austins hurt L Street. Um, so that's the store I had targeted. That one store that was doing $5 million a year was now doing a million five a year, you know, because I wow. you know, blame me. The newness wore off. There's no doubt about that. But mm-hmm. And then it hurt the Ames store. Um, I was never able to bring that store back. And, and the store on Maple never did that well because there was a famous Dave's on either side of it. So you learn some stuff yeah. the real hard way, that's for sure. Um, so that's the store I converted to a Twin Peaks. That's how I got into Twin Peaks. Otherwise, I never would have been in Twin Peaks. And did $3.3 million its first year and, and opened one in Des Moines. And five years later, sold them back to the parent company for a nice profit. And it was a great run. Um, what else did I convert? There's Twin Peaks, Sonic, First Watch. There's, I'm sure there's one other that, like I said, at least three or four is how I got into those brands was survival. I, I don't like paying rent if I'm not operating <laughs> or if I'm losing money. So I'm sure I'll think of the other one, but um, that's been a lot of my uh, uh, success is second-generation locations yeah. and converting them to a different concept. Mouth of the South is very similar. Right. Um, he actually was, uh, the guy who founded that was actually my tenant at 71st and Ames when I couldn't make it there. But I thought, boy, if anybody could, he could. He was the darling of the critics. His food's phenomenal. I like the kid. And he had the same problem at 71st and Ames that I did. Killed it for nine months, and it's like they shut the lights off. So he came to me hat in hand and said, you know, well, you can take my house. You know, I guess you own Mouth of the South now, and I hope you'll open a location out west and hire me to run it for you. And I go, I'm not doing that. I said, I'll do better. We, we find the right location. I'll make you a partner. I'll put up the money. You pay me back out of profits, and we'll just move forward. Wow. And I probably gave him, you know, twice what I needed to. I ended up giving him 48%, not because he asked for it. He was willing to come and work for me for nothing. I mean, for no ownership. But I thought, you know what? I've, I've always been a big believer in karma. <laughs> so my friends go, Greg, you could have given him 20%. He would have been happy. I mean, you could have taken yeah. his house. And I go, yeah, you know what? I gave him twice what I maybe needed to, but he's making me twice as much money as I ever thought he would. <laughs> so we're in the process of opening our second one in the old market right now. It's going to be phenomenal. Right next to Jams at 11th and... Uh, Harney, hopefully 30 days. We've been waiting six months for our HVAC to come in from Mexico oh or wherever they make it. Yeah. So it's frustrating. Supply chain does affect everybody. Yeah, for sure. So that's that's a great brand. That that's an that's a brand that would I would maybe take to Phoenix or Scottsdale in a, a year or two. Um, but it was a, we went to a location that had failed three or four times. It was uh, Regazzi's um, on 168th. Before that, it was a couple sandwich places i can't remember camellias or something 
Difference being, the access is one of the worst in Omaha. I mean, you can see it from 168th and Dodge, but try uh-huh. getting there. You got to go up to Walgreens and turn in and come in the back. Right. Yeah. But I looked at it and I go, you a know lot what? Of Olive Garden has the same crummy access we do, and their lot's full all the time. And I think the difference is people won't go through all that trouble to go stand in line to order food. Uh-huh. But if they're going to sit down for an hour and a half, why not? And the food's good. They'll drive back there, and boy, have they. It's been phenomenal. We're doing, you know, I would say three times what Ragazzi's was doing, and uh, great reviews, and uh, real excited about adding that to our portfolio. Congrats on that. Thanks. So of all of these experiences and, and the accolades that you've gotten, et cetera, what are you most proud of in your career? I would say um, surviving in one of the hardest businesses there is something to be proud of, and there's and you know when I that being restaurants, yeah, yeah, and I would tell you you know I see friends restaurants close all the time, and I reach out to them, and I said you know I've closed a dozen restaurants at least that didn't work. Yeah, I mean fortunately I had the infrastructure and and the brands that were working, you know that carried me, um, and uh, I said it's nothing to be ashamed of. I mean I I'm as good as they come and I still make mistakes and I still fail. And it's, you know, you just hedge your bet. I'd say the next thing is just creating opportunities for people who have been loyal to me and uh, help me grow. That's probably uh, very, very proud of that. Um, and, um, you know, mentoring and, and helping other franchisees not make me make some of the mistakes that I made, you know, <laughs> That's uh, that's worth a lot. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Sure. Two themes that I keep hearing. I know we're going to have to wrap up here soon, but one more question I want to ask you and an observation. Two themes that keep coming up in all of your comments. You just, you've had a relentless persistence with a dose of patience added mm-hmm. in, it seems. And it really is who you know, building yeah. those relationships with people yeah. who are going to have a huge impact on your future. Sure. No, that's true. No, that's definitely true, you know. And I know when I'm inquiring about a different concept or whatever, I know darn well that that franchisor is doing a background search and looking, say, what's this guy done? You know, what's his background and stuff? So, you know, keeping uh, your your reputation clean and professional and uh, doing what you say you're going to do, and it goes a long ways with, with those guys. So... And I know you had more questions, and I'm sorry I rambled on on some of those, but it's like... That's what you're here for. Yeah. If this audience wanted to hear me ramble on all day, then they wouldn't have <laughs> That's not what they come for. But no, you had some great questions. I read the read through them real quick, and, and you had some great questions in there. I didn't give you much time to ask them all, but... That's okay. Happy to help out and come back another time if you'd like. Well, we appreciate it. We appreciate your time very much. Sure. Let, let me close with one question. If there was any advice you were going to give to somebody who's thinking about starting a business, restaurant or not, um, what would you begin with? What would be your first couple pieces of advice? Well, you always want to uh, minimize your risk. you got to look out for your family and minimize your risk. But, you know, I've spoken for entrepreneur groups over the years, and, and uh, I never thought twice about putting my house up when I was getting started. And some people, it just freaks them out. Yeah. And I go, well, you're not ready. You know, and uh, either you're not comfortable with the concept you're looking at, that you that you love it so much that you're 
going to refinance your house or risk your house or whatever, you know, you can always go get a job and get another house, you know, but um, that's probably uh, number one is just having that relentless, um, you know, we used to have a slogan that said, uh, failure's not an option. <laughs> and and every now and then we used to say, and money's not an object, but we just said that to scare people. Well, <laughs> We're working on a toothpick half the time. I made payroll on credit card more than once. So trust me. So it's not a fully true, but it motivates people. You know, they know, you know, like when I set an opening date, you know, and somebody will walk in one of my restaurants. I said, we're going to be open in 10 days. And they look at me like I'm nuts. You know, there's sawdust on the floor. Uh (laughs) Come back in 10 days. I'll be open. Failure's not an option. So uh, now somebody's holding up our HVAC, like the old market mouth of the South and kind of out of my control. But right, uh, right. Um, is that it's going to be worth it when it's done. It's, uh, I'm a partner in that apartment building with some great guys, and, and uh, they uh, um, were excited to see me put another restaurant in there. I and bet. and uh, it, it, it've been real good to work with under the circumstances with COVID and everything. I mean, I was trying to lease that spot before, you know, Mouth of the South. I just opened Mouth of the South, so I wasn't ready to go down there. So I'm calling my buddies in the sports bar business and, hey, I got a great site down here and da-da-da, Jams does X amount and blah, blah, blah. Nobody was interested. Nobody was interested. So fast forward a year and a half. Oh, actually, I shouldn't say that. We had a, a seafood place out of Texas that was ready to sign the lease. And I was ecstatic. We were all happy. That's a big part of that built building being successful. And COVID hit. And they pulled out. So it set for another year. Well, by this time, uh, I'd gotten Mouth of the South open, and uh, it was exploding. I go, okay, I got a brand to put in there now. Called my partners, and I said, make me a deal, and uh, I'll put, I'll fill that space and have it open in a year. And they, they did, and stepped up, and, and uh, super excited about that. Hopefully, like I said, sometime in February we'll be open. Want to make Mardi Gras, of course. <laughs> kind of New Orleans thing. Um but my guys that are running, I normally run those projects, but I've had some health issues recently, and, and my, I put my COO in charge of it and my, and my Mouth of the South partner, and they've done a great job. They've gone to, like, auctions at Coco Keys, bought $10,000 chandeliers for 200 bucks, and wow. cool stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, we found, a, we, we found one uh, chandelier that we converted to a saxophone uh, chandelier where there's 10 saxophones hanging off of it, you know, over the waiting area and some real fun stuff like that. So I was really excited about that. Well, that story of persistence and adaptability is probably the ideal spot to wrap up this conversation. Yep. I could keep this going for hours, but I really appreciate you sharing and being open with your experiences. I can't imagine how many existing and future entrepreneurs that's going to help. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. You bet. Okay. And thank all of you for enjoying another episode of the Heartland Franchise Guy. We'll see you again here on an episode very soon. A Media Production.